It's known as the mother of all rivers, but Southeast Asia's Mekong River is facing some serious challenges. Drought, combined with multiple dams built in the river system, mean water levels are now unpredictable. In January, our Southeast Asia correspondent, Amy Bainbridge, went to northern Thailand to speak to locals about the river system and how their livelihoods are being changed forever. As Amy found out, being a foreigner in a small Thai community didn't invite the same level of suspicion that Western journalists face in some other countries. In fact, it was quite the opposite. My pants were rolled up and shoes left on shore as I waded into the Mekong River in early January this year. As a journalist, especially a video journalist, sometimes you literally become immersed in the subject you're reporting on. And as my feet slid on the smooth rocks on the banks of the Mekong River, the cool water was a relief from the oppressive late morning heat. We were visiting the Thai community of Chiang Kong, just south of the famous Golden Triangle, where the borders of Laos, Myanmar and Thailand meet. To find people to talk to about the river, there's no use staying on the road. My producer, Jill Mandai, spent two days on and off a boat to find out what Chinese dams further upstream meant for small communities making a living from the rich resource. And that's how I found myself wading in the Mekong River, camera in hand, stealing a few minutes with 56-year-old Ratana Yongyuan, who collects algae that grows in the Mekong River to sell at markets and feed her family. She was about to rush off to deliver her small collection for the day, but stood with me in the water to tell us what had been happening to the river. It's so unusual, she told me. It was so dry yesterday and today the water level is going back up. I can't pick the algae when the water is high because it's deep and I feel cold. China had announced at the end of December that testing at its Jinghong Dam, about 300 kilometres upstream, would cause water levels to fluctuate. To do stories like this, you can have a plan, but often the best interviews are secured simply by being there and talking to people. I was even more surprised just how easy it was to find people to talk and just how blunt they were and how similar some of the issues were to reporting on the Murray-Darling Basin, cross-border interests competing for a precious resource. Although I was a foreigner, we were nimble, with a small camera kit, making it easy to get on and off the boat with locals showing us around to break the ice. We found Changchan Chankarat growing vegetables on the riverbank. It's small-scale farming, that can only be done when the dry season makes the water levels gradually go down, leaving room and a nutritious riverbank to grow crops. In the past four to five days, the water went up to there, and then a few days later it went down to there. It damaged my garden. There was a lot some years and a little damage some other years. I don't know what to do. Some people have water pumps to pump water to their gardens, but some don't. I'm old. I feel too tired to take water up. I have to take one day of rest after working for two or three days. When we visited, the riverbank looked like an ocean tide had gone out. Water had receded so quickly that damp mud was left behind. So it meant precious crops were flooded suddenly and then water went down rapidly. 
but there were huge rocks too, and that shouldn't be seen in the Mekong at this time of year, effectively forming a rocky border in the water between Thailand and Laos. Locals said the water was far lower than it should be at this time of year. Niwat Roiko is the chairman of the local Rak Chiang Kong Conservation Group. He had a dim view of how the dams are impacting his beloved river. Climate change is a problem, he told us, but dams have destroyed the river and we don't need dams anymore. There are so many alternatives for energy. If anyone speaks about dams, they're not talking about energy, just about money only. After a day and a half talking to environment groups, fishermen and farmers, I thought it would be valuable if we could speak to a local leader. I mentioned it to Jung as we were getting off the boat. Less than 10 minutes later, our driver had taken us to where he'd last seen the local mayor, overseeing a road project earlier that day. We were warmly welcomed and granted an interview with the mayor almost immediately. His frankness, too, surprised me. I've never experienced a situation like this. It is so dry. It is so dry that I've never seen so many rocks in the middle of the river and the islands, the sand dunes. The river was not this low, even during dry season. Like many people from small towns in Australia, he's worried about the future of villages in this area. As our trip drew to a close, I reflected on just how open people had been during our time there. In many ways, it was far easier than finding people to interview in Australia. While being a video journalist poses a unique set of challenges, the small camera and low-key nature of the medium did seem to help us connect with local people. Being two women probably didn't harm us either, and the warm, friendly Thai culture made us very welcome. But the most important thing was just how much people care about their river, and perhaps that was the real reason they were so keen to talk. Southeast Asia correspondent Amy Bainbridge reporting from northern Thailand there.